But it is good to realize that you can change those those habits to healthier habits and and have improvement. It's empowering, right? Welcome to Discovering Nutrition with Chronometer. I'm your host and community marketing manager, Elisa, and today I am thrilled to sit down with our special guest, Dr. Tracy Paschke. Dr. Paschke is a preventative cardiologist. She uses her expertise of over 25 years in cardiology to help people with high cholesterol, a family history of heart disease, or other cardiac risk factors, and those recovering from heart conditions. She also offers personalized, in-depth consultations and integrative strategies to manage risks and improve people's health. In this episode, we sit down with Dr. Paschke to discuss heart disease, why you should start paying attention to your heart health right now, and a comprehensive action plan that factors in exercise, diet, and lifestyle to keep your ticker ticking. As always, this podcast is for general purposes only and does not constitute the practice of medicine, nursing, or other professional healthcare services, including getting medical advice. The use of information from this podcast is at the user's own risk and is not to be substituted for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Heart health is something that is near and dear to my own heart, pun intended, and I can't wait to dive in. Please introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about you and how you got into preventative cardiology. Yep. So I'm Dr. Tracy Paschke, and my practice is heart health prevention and wellness. And I have an office in Monument, Colorado, and I see people online as well uh, through telehealth. So I've been a cardiologist for 25 years, and I've spent most of my career taking care of people after they have heart attacks or an arrhythmia or a heart failure. and I decided after seeing that for so long, um, I decided to change my focus to try to help people prevent from, you know, from having those problems in the first place. So help people work on prevention to prevent heart attacks, prevent heart failure, prevent arrhythmias, so they don't have to deal with the consequences, right? Help them uh, stay healthy and prevent heart disease. So that's that's my focus now is on prevention. So people who have maybe a high cholesterol or a family history of heart disease or some other cardiac risk factor or people who've already had a cardiac event and are trying to figure out how to avoid another one, that's where I come in. So I provide uh, in-depth consultations uh, to help people figure out how to modify those risk factors and prevent disease and age in good health. So that's my focus now. What age do you typically start seeing people? Like what is the best age for someone to start working on preventing the possibility of a cardiac event? Is it in childhood or, you know, like what is what is the best time realistically we'll say as an adult to start right. focusing on this well so in my practice i see typically middle aged adults so people from say 30s to 60s um because that's when people are more focused on their health, maybe, uh, you know, maybe they know somebody that's had a problem or they had a, a, a weird symptom and they're worried. So it, 
that's typically the age when people start being more concerned about their health. But believe it or not, um, you know, they've studied even children can have what we call fatty streaks, which are the first signs of atherosclerosis or or precursor to plaque, right? Um, which just reminds us that we can't, you know, it is a lifelong process, right? Um, so people that develop heart problems, typically it's, they've been accumulating risk factors for 50 years, let's say, right? Uh, and then suddenly something happens, but but the process started a long time before that. So that's good news though, right? So we can, we can help people change those risk factors again, so they don't end up having the heart problems. So I would say, I would say the earlier we can start, the better. Mm -hmm. Um, and the other thing to, to remember is that people's health habits and life habits start as kids, right? Mm -hmm. Um, so people eat what their parents eat and they, um, do the same thing their parents do, right? So if your parents smoke, um, your chance of your, the, of the children smoking is much greater. And it's the same thing with, with food and activity, right? We tend to mirror our parents. Mm -hmm. Um, so, so sometimes it's not so much that we get bad genes from our parents, but sometimes it's the bad uh, health habits, right? Um, so the earlier we can start with that, the better we'll be, the easier it will be to, to live a healthy life. I don't know if many people are really thinking about their children's heart health, no. but, but I hope that most people are, you know, we look at things like I know childhood obesity is on the yes. rise and obviously that would probably, I'm, I'm making the assumption would have implications on cardiovascular disease and that kind yes. of thing. But, uh, I don't really think that most people are like, Oh, you know, I should do these heart healthy things for my child because, right. because it's just, we just don't hear about it as much. Obviously right. we do hear about it more in middle age, but if we could talk about some of the risk factors, I think you've touched on some of them. Mm -hmm. What would the most common risk factors for cardiovascular disease be that you see in your practice? Right. So risk factors for heart disease are things like uh, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, diabetes, um, obesity. But if you take a step back from that, so go back even more. So those are, those are considered the traditional risk factors for cardiovascular disease. But, but let's look at what, what causes those things, right? Mm -hmm. So if we look at things like high blood pressure, high cholesterol, diabetes, obesity, those things are often caused by lifestyle things, right? So contributions, um, you know, diet can cause those things. Um, lack of exercise or uh, smoking or alcohol or other what we call risky substances, right? Stress, um, um, lack of social connection. So there's a correlation with loneliness and depression and cardiovascular disease. So, so I think it's more helpful to not look at the risk factors like high blood pressure and diabetes and high cholesterol, but go back a step further. 
what are the risk factors for getting those things, right? Because it's it's actually easier to attack all the things that cause those other things because that has long-term implications for your health in, in other ways. In other words, if if we follow a healthy diet and we are more active and we have more restorative sleep and we avoid those risky substances and we have a strong social connection and we practice self-care for stress management, we won't have as much high blood pressure and diabetes and obesity, which means we won't have as much heart disease. We also won't have as much cancer and as much Alzheimer's and as much uh, autoimmune disease. So see, it's all related. Those same healthy lifestyle things for heart disease also prevent all those other diseases too. So it's the most effective way to prevent everything, right? Do you think that there's merit in people who have, you know, either consumed alcohol regularly or people that smoke or people that are sedentary, do you think that it's, it's from the approach that it's never too, too late or is a certain amount of damage like basically done? Cause I know, I know a lot of people, they have these habits and like, well, I've been doing this already for 10 years. So the damage is done. Is, is that, is that true? Or can we reverse some of those lifestyle factors? Yeah. It's never too late. You know, they've even studied people in their eighties and older lifestyle changes have positive effects, um, no matter what your age and no matter how long, you know, they've done those studies too. When people stop smoking, um, they're, arteries are better within a few hours and their heart uh, slowly, you know, over a year or two uh, improves and their lung function improves. So it's always, it's never too late. No, uh, it's never too late. Which again, and that's the good news, right? It is Um, great news. Yeah. So that's, uh, that empowers people because like you mentioned before, sometimes when you're young, you know, we don't think about that stuff when we're younger and we do all sorts of stuff and, and we just keep doing those bad things and, and we don't think about it much. But, but it is good to realize that you can change those, those habits to healthier habits and, and have improvement. It's empowering, right? It is. One of the things that I find really interesting about people wearing activity trackers and wearables and that kind of thing is, well, they're not 100% accurate. And we know that I actually did a great interview with someone who does third party testing. And he was talking about just, you know, there's, there's a margin of error. But one of the things that I think is so great is people are more aware Right. And I was talking to a couple women who wear um, the aura ring. I'm not sure if you've heard mm-hmm. about aura, but yeah. they were saying that they noticed their resting heart rate during sleep was significantly higher on days they consumed alcohol. Mm. And I was like, does that change your behavior? Because for a lot of people, alcohol is something that people genuinely enjoy. It's social or they love a glass of wine or a couple beers and they don't really think about it. But then when the evidence is there and it's plain as day, right. you know, then I'm like, are you more likely to make changes? And they said, yes. And yeah. I was like, that's, that's incredible to me because this is feedback we wouldn't have had 
from our bodies 10 years ago to understand those things. So I I think that that's amazing. I actually track my own. I'm curious, do you track your heart rate or anything? Um, Not, no, not with a wearable. I've done the, um, the glucose monitor for two Mm -hmm. weeks, which I thought was really helpful to see how, Right, because it makes it more personal when you're yes. tracking your own stuff, right? It, it makes it more personal about how things affect me. Mm-hmm. Um, so like with the glucose monitor, when I eat certain foods, um, you know, how's it affecting my blood sugar and things that I thought were, quote, healthy, um, where I was seeing spikes, right? So, so yeah, it just helps you, oh, well, maybe for me, then I need to make another change, right? Mm-hmm. So it's awesome, yeah, to use the that information. And, you know, regarding the heart, there's some great, the Apple Watch uh, can give you great recording. Yeah, great recordings on. of your heart. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, it's great that we have the those technologies. Yeah, I think that it's really empowering and helps us make great decisions and honestly can show us some trends and that kind of thing. That's mm-hmm. I wear an Apple Watch. I've worn the Aura Ring. For me, I like looking at the trends as opposed to like what is happening like day to day because right. that gives me a better idea. And I've learned a ton about my own heart, I think, um, and recovery and that kind of thing, which I'm going to ask you a couple questions later because I do have a couple questions. <laughs> but One of the questions I did have, because people are listening to this and they're like, okay, I can obviously drink less alcohol. I can exercise more. I can clean up my diet, that kind of thing. But how do people know about where they sit for some of those other risk factors? And what is the process you think people should go about finding out their cholesterol, their blood pressure? Like, if someone is 45 right now listening to this and they're like, I actually don't know any of these numbers. Mm-hmm. what should they, what should they be doing? Should they at that age, you know, be going out and getting, um, tested for those things? Well, I would, I would say that your forties would be about the age when you need to start, uh, establish care with a good primary care physician, right. And they'll check your blood pressure and they'll send you for lipids. Uh, you know, you have some other preventive screening that starts, uh, you know, they've lowered the, uh, start colorectal screening at 45 now. Um, so that's the, around the four, your forties, you should start paying attention more to these numbers. Um, because like you said, it's something you can track over time. Right. And you don't want to, you don't want to have high blood pressure, let's say, and not know you have it because then you can't do anything about it, right, if you don't know. So you have to – you can't kind of stick your head in the sand with this stuff, right? You have to be aware of these things because you won't be able to to make healthy changes if, if you're not aware it's a problem, right? Yeah, I, I completely agree. Knowledge is power. That's I remember true. I was in my mid-20s and I asked if I could get my cholesterol tested. And my doctor was like, well, why would we do that? You're, you know, you're 26 years old. And then um, didn't do it for me. And then I ended up going to another physician who did do it for me, which I thought was great. And then she was actually like, your cholesterol is out of whack. And I had, uh, I think I had low, good cholesterol 
if that's, do, do you still categorize them as like good and bad cholesterol? Mm-hmm. And then, so yep. she made a recommendation, I hope is accurate <laughs> at the time to just have like incorporate some more healthy fats into my diet and that kind of thing. Um, right. and, and I remember thinking at, even at that age, I was like, had I not known about this and I just continued doing what I was doing, how many right. years would I have been, right. you know, missing something that could long-term affect my health? So even right. though it felt very premature, I think to my, to my regular general practitioner, it ended up being something that I caught and was able to make an, an actionable change. And hopefully right. like 10 years later, it's serving me well, you know, so. Right. Right. And that's the whole thing about prevention, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So, and this is a weird thing with cardiovascular disease. So even though cardiovascular disease is the number one killer of men and women, a lot of women don't know that, but it's men and women, um, there is no standard screening besides lipid panels that you can get. There's no stand like, you know how we do colorectal screening with either a colonoscopy or a blood stool test, uh, you know, blood in your stool test. Um, or for breast cancer, we have screening mammograms. There is no screening test for cardiovascular disease. So again, that, you know, people walk around with plaque they don't know they have or high cholesterol they don't know they have. So so again, sort of changing the focus to be more aware of the fact that we can prevent cardiovascular disease. It's not all genetic. In fact, they say that only like around 20% of cardiovascular disease is your genes. The rest is these epigenetic factors, these other lifestyle factors, right? And those are the things we can control. I agree. <laughs> which is great. I've been doing a lot of the things that you've, you've, you've mentioned that people should be doing. So, uh, that yeah. feels, that feels wonderful. One of the things yeah. that I was most curious about is exercise and preventing heart disease. I know that there's recommendations out there and they and they vary drastically, you know, like there's, there's some recommendations that say like 10 minutes once a day. And then there's some that are like, 60 minutes of vigorous exercise five days a week. Do you have any updated information on where that lands about how much we should be moving in order to keep our hearts healthy? Right. So this is one of those, you know, it's not really controversial, but you hear different recommendations, right? And it gets confusing. Mm -hmm. So I like to keep things simple, right? Um, because I think the simpler that you can convey these things to people, the more, the better it lands, right? So the American Heart Association recommends 150 minutes of moderate intensity aerobic exercise a week. Okay. So, um, so that's over your week, however you want to do it. Women, especially, you know, we also need some strength training for our bones and our muscles. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, but it's interesting. The um, have you heard of blue zones? The blue zones. Yeah, the- very familiar yeah. with those. So, right. So blue zones they tend to exercise more just um, active movement, right? Gardening, going for a walk around the neighborhood, um, housework, cleaning the gutter. You know, so 
So I always tell people the best exercise is whatever exercise you're going to do, right? So if, if you're not someone who likes to go to the gym, I don't want that to, to be the impediment to you moving more, right? Um, so if you don't like to go to the gym or you don't like to walk on a treadmill, go for a walk outside. You know, it, nature's great, right? It, it helps our mood. Um, there's a lot of data on that. So whatever, whatever. And, and even if, if you don't like to exercise at all, do something that's not exercise. Um vacuum your floor every day or mop, you know, something, right? Mm -hmm. Something to get you moving. Um, because it's good for your heart. It's good for your lungs. It's good for your brain, right? There's a lot of data on brain health and exercise. One of the best things you can do for your brain, um, stress management. Again, it's good for that. So, so it has a lot of other benefits. So just move more. And plus, you know, in today's culture and society, we spend a lot of time yes. sitting, right? Uh, we're sitting right now. Um, so it's just, it's just our, our life these days. Um, so we just need to make an effort to move more. I like that you basically hit the nail on, on the head for me anyway. It, it's about finding enjoyment in, in something, because I know myself well enough now that I can't make myself do anything I don't, I don't want to do. And I run right. a lot, but when, when, you know, people are asking me, like, how do you go and, and run like a 10 K every other day? And I'm like, I genuinely love it. And they're like, I hate running. I'm like, well, running is not for you. Go find right. something else that, that brings right. you the same level of joy. I get runner's high. So for me, it's like the most right. natural, uh, thing I can do for, for like my endorphins. I get a huge rush and I'm high on life. Right. Like, um, I said earlier, I went for a run before this podcast because it just gets right. me fired up. So I do right. have a couple questions. I would like to go down a small rabbit hole with you about exercise. Okay. Just because I've noticed, and this is just me speaking as Elisa, I've noticed how much my heart rate changes seasonal, like seasonally. So where I live, we get typically it's beautiful this, this, this winter, it's very sunny and very mild, but typically we get a ton of snow. And so my regular activities, I'm a avid mountain biker, love running. I rollerblade. I walk my dog. Like I basically live outside, but a lot of those activities go by the wayside simply because we can't do them in the winter. And I do an activity in the winter. I snowmobile, um, which is, is very active because there are large machines, but I notice the trend in my heart rate from my wearables changes around like eight to 10 beats a minute, depending on app, like my resting heart rate from the summer to the mm -hmm. winter. So it goes up or down? Which in the season? summer, it goes down quite a bit. So it'll right. be like 55 beats a minute um, in the winter and then like 45 in the summer, probably because I'm doing hours of exercise. Is that right. to have that kind of change every year, basically, is that healthy or should I be trying to keep that up? Because I don't ever want to run on a treadmill. Like I'm just not someone that's going right. to do right. those things inside. Right. So I would say, um, 
you're just so what you're noticing so the more fit we are the the better cardiovascular fitness we have the lower our resting heart rate typically mm -hmm. yes right and so that's what you notice in the summer when you're more fit and more active your resting heart rate is lower so that makes it's sense so drastic. and then in the well it seems drastic to you but it's not really okay. that drastic i mean it's low both seasons it's mm -hmm. low because 55 as your resting heart rate that's mm -hmm. low too um but it's just lower when you're fitter is how i would explain it but it's not dangerous or concerning or really even it's just interesting that you can see that right so another thing you've noticed by your wearables yeah it's it's actually it's pretty pretty interesting at my at my fittest because i do run quite a bit at my fittest my resting heart rate can be like 37 to 39 beats a minute and i go to the doctors yeah. for something and they're like this is really low. And I'm like, I do a lot of cardio. I'm like, oh, okay, that's fine. That makes yeah. sense. And I'm like, <laughs> should I be worried? So, um, yeah, that, that, that's great. Just, yeah. It's just your heart, your heart is healthy. So that's good. So what, what happens with that? I think I know, but if I'm wrong, I'd love to be corrected. So does the, your heart muscle, become more efficient so it's pumping the same amount of blood with less beats or what does a lower heart rate actually mean from a physiological standpoint right so uh, yeah so your heart is more efficient your your cardiac output meaning the the output of your heart um it doesn't need as much um it has to do with your heart rate and your blood pressure and and when your when your heart is in better shape it um can do that with a lower resting heart rate yeah amazing um now the other bit of that is heart rate recovery time right so people who are more fit and more active and have better cardiovascular fitness usually they're they're when they stop exercising, their heart rate recovers very quickly, right? Whereas someone who's maybe in as not as not in as good of shape, it takes them longer to recover. And it's interesting. That's one of the things that we see post COVID infection. People's heart rate, resting heart rates go up, and it takes longer for them to recover. And their resting heart rate, it tends, they can have palpitations and arrhythmias and it bothers them. Sometimes it takes several months to, to kind of get back to normal. It's so interesting that you say that because I had a very bad mountain biking crash in the fall. I ended up unconscious basically. So I'm assuming I had a concussion. I went to the doctor and there's no, I'm not sure if, there's something in the United States that is, is better for like, um, understanding like what level of concussion is, but typically like the doctor I saw in emerge was like, well, if you were unconscious, you probably have a concussion and I've had other ones. And one of the, the things that was most startling for me was my resting heart rate for months was higher than, than mm -hmm. normal. And once again, like this, this wearable technology that we have, I was like, like 
it was really crazy to me that a head injury, and this is like, yeah. this is just me playing around with my own data because I'm a huge data nerd. You know, I'm, right. not, I'm, not, I'm not, not diagnosing other people with concussions or anything, but I was just really surprised that it took up until two weeks ago for my heart rate to become normal after having a concussion. Yeah. I was like, wow, there is a strong correlation between all parts of our body and, and that kind of thing. That's right. So. Yeah. Yeah. That is interesting that you saw that, but, but we do know people who've had, who have strokes can have changes on their EKG, the heart tracing that we do. So yeah, there's, it's all connected. That's, that's the point, isn't it? It is. And doing Mm -hmm. one thing that's good for your heart is probably good for your brain and other organs and everything. So it's, it's, it's one piece of the puzzle. Right. What kind of dietary changes, habits should people be making in order to have a healthy heart? Obviously we spoke about exercise on, from a diet perspective, are there certain nutrients people should be paying attention to, or even like bigger picture kind of yeah. foods that you recommend people consume? Yeah. So, so this is bigger picture and it's, um, probably the best thing that you can do for your heart is follow a whole food plant-based diet. So, um, there's a ton of data that eating meat, eating animals and animal products is not good for your Well, it's not good for your cardiovascular system. It's not good for your gut. It's not good for your brain. It's, um, it's not good, uh, for autoimmune diseases. Um, so, so that's the diet that I uh, coax people to try to move toward whole food, plant-based diet. Um, so that's no animals or animal products. So, um, you know, people always think it's red meat that causes heart problems. Right? Well, most Americans get get most of their cholesterol from chicken because we eat so much chicken, mm. right? So by volume, chicken is a problem. Um, eggs and dairy, cheese, um, cheese is high in sodium. They're all high in fat. Um, so, so if if I could get one person listening uh, to become uh, a, a champion of a plant-based diet, then then I this would be a success for me. Um, I love that. But it's you know it's diet is hard. Again, mm. it, it's a a lifestyle change and a habit that's hard for people to do uh, because they've been eating certain things their whole life. Uh, there's a lot of, you know, social activities are around eating family things are around food. Um, it's hard to go out to dinner when you're following a plant-based diet. It can be done, but it's more work, Mm -hmm. right? It's all more work. Mm -hmm. Um, but, but there's a, a lot of data, and I can share some resources um, with people listening. Um, good data on on the health benefits of a, a plant based diet. Um, so I tell I tell my patients and clients to start slow. Mm-hmm. You know, first I tell them to be more mindful of what they're eating. Right. Because sometimes we just eat stuff because it's here or drive through and we're mm-hmm. eating it and we're not even really thinking about what we're eating. Right. Mm-hmm. So 
So be more mindful of what you're putting in your body. So if if your body is a temple, right, um, we want to treat it with respect, right? We only this is it. We get one body. We need to take care of it. We need to treat it with respect. We need to remember all the amazing things it does for right. It's the most amazing machine uh, ever invented, and and. You know, you wouldn't put uh, water in your gas tank, <laughs> right? You you put the best fuel you can find. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's the same thing with our body. So the first step is to be more mindful of what we're eating and drinking. So next time you're going to eat or drink something, just take, you know, 10 seconds and think about it. Is this going to help me? or not. Mm -hmm. Right. So if it's a a big gulp, the answer is no, it's not going to help me. Right. So, oh, well maybe, maybe I should have some tea instead or a glass of water. Um, so just start thinking about it from that aspect. I think it'll kind of change, change the way you look at food. Right. So then once you start thinking about it like that, um, so then maybe you're ready to kind of go the next step. So the next step would be start experimenting with uh, not with leaving the meat out, right? So instead of, uh, you know, the World Health Organization classifies processed meat, so deli ham, sausage, hot dogs, uh, bacon, as a group one carcinogen. Mm-hmm. Those cause cancer in the at the same rates as tobacco and asbestos, right? So you don't people don't really talk about that, right? But a lot of people have a ham and cheese sandwich every day for lunch. Mm-hmm. Well, if you if you know that deli ham is a, a group one carcinogen, is that good to put in your mouth? Mm-hmm. No. It's not. You would never, you know. So when you're making your uh, daughter a ham and cheese sandwich, it'll make it, is this the best? Is this, do I want to do this? Mm-hmm. Right? Um, so then maybe instead of your ham and cheese sandwich, you um, do some avocado toast mm-hmm. or um hummus on whole wheat toast or hummus and uh, carrots, right? So it just makes you start thinking about things in a little different way. Um, So instead of your, maybe it's Taco Tuesday, instead of uh, putting ground beef or chicken in your tacos, you um, have brown rice and beans Mm -hmm. you leave out or do a plant-based meat, People say, oh, well, that's not, that's process. Yes, but it's better than meat, right? So again, there are um, stages of change, right? Uh, So if you don't want or don't think you can tomorrow become a plant-based eater, start slow and make gradual changes. You'll feel better. You'll lose weight and you'll keep the weight off. Um, The inflammation in your body falls. Uh, your head clears, your you just you'll feel better and you'll want to eat more of that, of that way, right? Because you're like, oh, 
Oh, I don't eat. I, I don't need all that meat. I can get protein from plants. Mm-hmm. Uh, ooh, more fiber. Now I'm having these uh, awesome regular bowel mm-hmm. movements, right? Um, so it's just one thing after another, and you're and it makes you appreciate uh, the good things you're doing for your body. So if there's one thing. Uh, that people can do to prevent heart disease and also keep their brain healthy and their gut healthy and lower some risk of cancers, uh, it would be to move toward a plant-based diet. I love the mindfulness piece too, of just about thinking what you're putting in your body. I don't think many of us do. I know I have moments where I do, but I'm absolutely guilty of that too. You know, like you, sure. you, I mean, I also believe that food is one of life's greatest greatest pleasures. So, I, if I if I my mom makes an absolutely deadly pie, and uh, I'm never going to say no to that pie. <laughs> so well, it, there there is something to be said for that as well. But day to day, every day, I don't really know if I'm sitting down and I'm thinking, right. is this helping my health? Is this hindering my health at every meal? And I think. When you said like we only do get one body, I think that a lot of people, and I've fallen victim to this as well, you don't really appreciate how valuable your health is until you have an event that startles you into like either you have, you know, some kind of crash or accident like I did in the fall. Um, and I was like, whoa, like. I feel terrible right now. Right. And it's it's like, I need to actually really take care of myself. And I know that people, obviously I've, uh, have, have, you know, lost people to cancer and, and all those kinds of things. And they're like, I wish that I'd taken better care of, of myself. And I just don't right. really think that we're like, I think we often take our bodies for granted until something happens. Right. And then, then we're, you know, the the saying I've said on the podcast before, but an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. And, and I truly believe that. And so for me, I've tracked my nutrition every day for the last six years. Part of that is my job. A part of it is I just want to be on top of, Mm -hmm. of what I'm putting in my body. But, but after this conversation, I think I'm going to take a a deeper look and just maybe become a little bit more mindful about, about things. I, I definitely, think that there's substitutions that can be made. Like I make a taco bowl, uh, with tofu. And at first people are like, that sounds disgusting. And I'm like, no, you should try it. It's actually really great. Yeah. You can just like crumble right. tofu and make, make a taco yep. bowl. And I think it's really delicious. So, um, right. yeah. I th- right. But, but I think again, in today's society, you know, we don't, um, we're all so busy mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, it takes time to plan healthy meals and you got to go to the grocery store and, and you got to cook more from home. Um, and it just seems overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so, so I think that's part of the problem. And we just tend to think, well, you know, I'm just eating uh, my normal stuff, but stop and think about what that stuff yeah. is. Right. I- I love that advice. There is so much convenience. I know a lot of people like, you know, we, I live in a small town and the fast food options here are plentiful. Like there is, you know, there's just so many options to just swing through the drive-thru when you're hungry and, and it does take more effort to, to, to make a meal. Mm -hmm. But 
I actually, the times that I do cook, um, I'm like, this is a lovely experience and the sitting down and it's very rewarding, I think, to, to eat with your loved ones over something you prepared. Outside right. of exercise and diet, can we talk a little bit about the implications of stress and heart disease? Yes. What, right. what do we know about the correlation between stress? And there's two different kinds of stress, right? Um, distress, which is negative. And is it eustress, which is considered a positive stress? Is that right? Uh yeah, I, I'm not sure I know what context you're talking about. Like stress for, um, you mean like to get out of the way if we're getting ready to be in a car wreck? I think just more like on, on your life, like work environment stress or familial right. stress. How do those things right. impact our health? Right. So, yeah, that's a huge thing as well. And a lot of interesting um research coming out about how stress impacts our our health in general not just our heart health but again health in general um you know evolutionarily right stress keeps us from getting eaten by the saber-toothed tiger right or whatever yes. right it was it's a protective mechanism to keep us alive well um you know humans evolved in small groups um, hunter gatherer groups. And, and that was it. We, we lived to be 30 if we were lucky. Uh, right? <laughs> I would have been gone. <laughs> yes. Right. Uh, and we were just trying to survive from one day to the next. Mm -hmm. Uh, so now here we are in this world where we can get on our phone and know about some tragedy that's happening thousands of miles away. Um, so we got to process that. We got to look at this. We got work. We got kids. We got, you know, it, it's, it's stressful, right? Modern life is stressful. There's no doubt about it. Um, so stress takes a toll on our body, that chronic stress, um, stress hormones, adrenaline, cortisol, when we're under this chronic stress, those hormone levels go up. Uh, that causes, again, inflammation in the body, uh, which is tied to heart disease, um, gut disease, uh, brain problems. So again, it's all related, right? So we have to Again, if we're going to put our, our body first now, right, we're going to change our thinking and our bodies first, we're going to, um, we're going to focus on how to pay attention to our self-care, which is part of stress management, right? Because we got we to gotta take care of ourselves before we can take care of everybody else, mm -hmm. right? Um, so that's where things like, um, meditation, mindfulness, um, uh, journaling, um, talking to your friends, um, meeting your friends, going on a walk, all those uh, sitting in the hot tub or the sauna, um, taking a warm bath. You know, all those things that like, if you think of it, you're like, oh, that, you know, getting a massage, all those things that are good for us, relax us, help us feel better. 
So we're going to, instead of those being the last things on the to-do list, right, we're going to pencil those in um, and structure the rest of our day around those things, right? Um, so we're going to, I mean, you got to figure out how to do it, right? Do you, do you get up 30 minutes earlier so you can meditate? Do you... Um, uh, you know, go on a walk at lunch, uh, journal when you get home from work, you know, just think about some different ways to incorporate these things, put them on your calendar, on your schedule, however you have to do it to, to make it top of mind. Right. So it's, so it's not an afterthought mm -hmm. stress management and self-care is is on the top of the list, not not an afterthought. Yes, self care is not selfish, which is something right. that I think women in particular. I know some men yeah. too, but a lot of women um, struggle with with that for sure. Yes. But I think that in order to give everyone the best of you, you really have to take care of yourself. So, yes, um, yeah, that is very helpful, and I think that. I'm going to also, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to be more mindful about my diet after this. I'm going to have a massage because you just gave me, you just gave me the permission I needed yeah. to go get a rub done. That's um, right. One of the other things that's getting a lot more attention lately, and I love this is sleep. I yes. love sleep. I'm, I'm, yes. I am religious <laughs> about my sleep hygiene. I think that yes. that's the one thing that I'll always make sure that I do. Are you making recommendations in your practice as we learn more about the benefits of sleep for sleep yes. hygiene and heart health? Yes. Yeah. And there's, again, a lot of data on the importance of sleep in the heart, sleep in the brain. Um, you know, um, there are certain sleep disorders like sleep apnea that can adversely affect the heart. Um so yes, sleep again. It's it's one of the pillars of lifestyle medicine that that is on the list to to discuss with people. So um, you know we need seven to nine hours of sleep. Um, average American does not get seven to nine hours of sleep a night, so we need to work on that. Um, we need to again, figure out how to get good sleep. So it's not just, you know, okay, I'm going to sleep more. So how do we set that up to, to be, how do, do we set it up to be successful at it? Right. So in other words, I, I tell people to, to start backwards. So if, if I want if I get up at six o'clock in the morning to meditate and, you know, get breakfast ready for everybody and be at work by nine or whatever. So if I get up at six, so count backwards, that means I, I need to be asleep at 10, mm -hmm. right? That's my eight hours. Some people might be seven, some people nine, but say eight hours, right? So we all need between seven and nine hours of sleep. So I need to be asleep by 10. Mm -hmm. So that means I have to start getting ready for sleep about nine, mm -hmm. right? So, so you need to have a routine that you do starting like an hour before you want to be asleep. Um, so that's get rid of screens, um, no heavy meals, no alcohol that disrupts your sleep, no smoking, 
Um, no, uh, you know, don't watch some scary or stressful show at, at nine 30, <laughs> right. Cause then you're, you're revved up. You're not, you're not, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, getting in the, the mode of sleep. Right. So, and one, so you want your room to be cool and dark and you want a bunch of comfy blankets and a comfortable bed. And if you can you don't want any pets in there right you want it uh sleeping oasis mm-hmm. right um and you you don't want a tv in the bedroom um all you do is go in your bedroom and you get in bed and you're cozy you might read a book cuz that you know that's not a screen but that helps kind of wind most people helps them wind down or you could listen to uh there are a lot of like calming apps mm-hmm. you know my son listens to one of those just kind of gets him relaxed um so then by 10 you're sleepy mm-hmm. and then you go to sleep at 10 and you wake up at 6 mm-hmm. right um, and if you do that long enough, it's just like when we're teaching our kids how to, um, when, when we're sleep training our kids, mm-hmm. right? I mean, you don't play with your kids and bounce <laughs> them up and down and then throw them in the bed and, and say, all right, go mm-hmm. sleep, right? It's the same thing. Um, we need, our bodies need a wind down process and you do the same thing every, you brush your teeth and you wash your face or maybe take a warm shower that tells your brain, okay, it's, it's time for me to start winding down and getting ready for sleep. And if you do that, you will be able to sleep like a baby. Agree. And it's good. It's great for your heart and it's great for your brain. It's great for stress. I actually noticed because one of the things I pay the most attention to is my heart rate during sleep. And Mm -hmm. I have made changes based on what my wearable technology is telling me. I did notice if I would go for a run after 3 p.m., in the day, which is typically when I had the most energy. So I'd get the fastest run times, but my heart rate would be higher at night than if I ran before 3 PM. And the same thing with meals. If I have like full on dinner or I'm so sensitive to caffeine now, I didn't used to be, but if I have caffeine, basically anytime after like 1 PM, I'm pretty much done. And I think that those are just things that people can just learn about themselves because I know a lot of people who can have a coffee before bed, <laughs> go to sleep. And I'm like, that is so impressive. I think sleep is highly, you know, personal. And I think that a lot of people can, can use the technology available or even just go off how they feel. But I know that for me, the technology that, that I use made things very clear to me. You know, I don't, I don't right. drink alcohol, but like we were talking earlier, people were noticing how much higher their heart rate was for days actually. So right. I think that that's super interesting as well. You know, the other thing I want to mention though, when you say like people can drink caffeine late and sleep fine, mm-hmm. they may be asleep but is it restorative sleep, right? So that's the other thing to remember. Like people who drink um, alcohol before they go to sleep, they may be asleep, but they don't have um, deep restful sleep. You know, mm-hmm. it affects their REM sleep. So they, they may not be getting restorative sleep. Um, so just something else to think yeah, about. Yeah, that was actually a point that was brought up by, we interviewed a sleep expert as well. And a lot of people, I think, 
will drink alcohol because it helps them go to sleep faster. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah. they're like, oh, well, I mean, I'm, I'm getting better sleep because I'm falling asleep faster. And it's like, actually, what is happening is you're not getting any of the, the true benefits that come from sleep, which is found in the deep restorative sleep. So right. I think that that's an interesting misconception that's out there that that I was happy to have debunked. I, I said, I said yeah. that episode to a bunch of my friends who said that. Honestly, that's one of the best parts of my job is I get to talk right. to all these professionals that know way more than I do. And I'm like, people are like, oh, you, you know, there, there's no difference eating a, like a protein shake at 11 p.m. And I'm like, from like a nutrition standpoint, no, but from a sleep standpoint, yes, right. there can be. So right. it's, it's been, uh, right. I basically just get a front row seat to um, helping, yeah. <laughs> helping give advice to my friends and family. Yeah. Uh, Whether they want it or not. Yeah, 100%. This is my job. <laughs> That's what I'm going to do. Um, you've oh. obviously been in in the industry and been a cardiologist for a very long time. And I think that having your level of expertise in an interview is incredible. I'm curious to know if there's anything that you've been surprised about recently um, when we're talking about advancements in, in healthcare for cardiology. Is there anything over the last couple of years you've been like, whoa, this is exciting? Well, Yeah. You know, I mean, the treatment of cardiovascular disease is amazing, right? I mean, uh, we can fix people's heart valves through the leg. We can treat their heart attacks uh, by opening arteries going through the wrist. Um, So the treatment of a heart problem is is state-of-the-art, best in the world, right? Um, But again, I think because despite, you know, the healthcare system in the United States, despite being um, spending more money per capita than, than any country in the world, we don't have the best outcomes. So despite all these amazing things we can do um, for heart disease and, and cancer and, um, you know, you name any disease, we still don't have the best outcomes. So, you know, why is that? Well, I think it's because our healthcare system, we're very good at treating problems, right? But we're not as good as preventing the problem. Agreed. And I think there's a, there are a lot of reasons for mm-hmm. that. Um, you know, our health insurance system isn't set up for prevention, our you know we have big pharma that uh, makes money by giving people pills, selling pills. Yes. Um, we have big agriculture that puts a lot of money into um, you know uh, lobbying and um, giving money to the uh, American Heart Association and the American Cancer Society and uh, you know. So, so there are a lot of competing factors. Um, so it's my hope that, that that's the, going to be the next thing on the horizon is that everyone realizes that the best way to stay healthy is to take care of my body. And the best way to take care of my body is the old fashioned things, um, whole food plant-based diet, 
move more, um, stress management, good sleep, social connection, and avoiding risky substances. Mm -hmm. So, so that's where I hope the next horizon is, is that people realize how important that is. I think that I, I mean, obviously I agree with you hundred percent and that's kind of our ethos at chronometer too. We do want people to make the most informed decisions. Hopefully best case scenario, people are understanding their diets and what they're putting in their body and then therefore making decisions that could greatly impact their future. Whenever I see, you know, like I bought my Apple watch, it was a thousand dollars. And I think for the, for the price, I'm like, what I've learned about my health for me is invaluable, but it is unfortunate. And I hope that it kind of goes the other way that it would be amazing. And I know it's like a pie in the sky dream, but if insurance companies and that kind of thing provided these tools beforehand, because I know I, I forget I, the numbers I've heard, but how, how many thousands and thousands of dollars it costs when someone gets an illness, it would be amazing if these tools were readily available to everybody. And, and then the the health benefits we would see in prevention, because I think a thousand dollars when I bought it, my watch at the time, I'm like, oh, that's a lot of money. But now I'm like, what it has done for, for my health is invaluable to me and the insights I understand about my body. It's invaluable. And I just wish everyone had, had the same level of access to things that can, can teach them more. And I know I am going to shout out the company that I work for, uh, for sure, because we, we give out all of the nutrition data to all of our free users. You don't have to pay a lot of a lot of the apps that, um, are in the same market as us, the nutrition tracking apps, you have to pay, you know, $20 a month, $15 a month to upgrade to that data. But we just think that it should be accessible to everyone, regardless of their budget. And I wish that the, the, the same was true for other things like testing cholesterol and those kinds of things that, that we could spend more money on the front end than, than on the back end. So Right. Um, you've been a wealth of knowledge and I think that you've made <laughs> cardiovascular disease interesting. We talked last time when we met, I was <laughs> like, heart health is not like necessarily the sexiest thing. Uh, but, but right. I think that, that you are so charismatic that it definitely livens things up. And I appreciate, um, you sharing your knowledge with us. I always end the podcast you've given us some actionable items already, but I always on the podcast asking if there was one thing that our listeners could do today, in your opinion, that would improve their health. What would it be? And you know what I'm going to say, right? <laughs> no meat, no meat for dinner tonight. Try it. I, I thought that that might be your recommendation. Uh, Dr. Paschke, it's been amazing to have you here. Thank you so much for being so Thank generous you. with your time. If people want to work with you, because you did say that you do, you have an online practice. Can you tell people where to find you? And then we'll link it in the show notes as well. But where can people listening hunt you down? So my website is www.hearthealth.care. Perfect. Do you have any social handles or anything 
Yeah. So I'm on, um, most active on Facebook and LinkedIn. Um, you can find me there. We will include those as well. Thank you so much for for being here. You've been a wonderful guest and I really appreciate your time. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Like we said in the podcast, heart health might not be the sexiest topic, but it's something that everyone should be focusing on now because ultimately we all want to live long, healthy lives and heart health, as Dr. Paschke said, is the number one killer. So we hope that you learned a lot about your own heart health and the things that you can do to improve yours today. If you like this episode, please make sure that you refer it to anyone else that might find it interesting and please subscribe to Discovering Nutrition. Until next time.